0: How are you? Some of you I know and some of you I don't, and I'm, I'm um, excited either way to be able to share today. I'm going to try to, I'm going to break this and then I'm going to owe you guys money. But um, there we go. And uh, what a privilege to be at this awesome church. I've known um, Alex and Raquel for um, a while, but really got to know them, I think it was uh, about three years ago at a church planting boot camp. Uh, That My wife and I went through it was a one week intense training on how to plant a church and it was an amazing experience and we really got to know them there and uh, I know that I'm preaching to the choir for those of you that this is your home church I know I'm telling you something you already know but you have an awesome pastor and uh, and it is so amazing that you guys. Um, took up a collection and sent them over to England so that he could celebrate his father's retirement from his church over there. That's really amazing. I tell you, just from personal experience as a pastor, that goes a long way in encouragement in a pastor's life. And so we're taking up an offering today for me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that you sit, you know, last night we had a family movie night and we uh, decided to watch The Patriot. Because uh, that's the movie we chose. It dawned on me after we started the movie that this week we celebrate Independence Day, 4th of July. And I find it's interesting that you sent your pastor packing back to England. Do you see the connection there? You guys are pretty smart. It's like, boom, kicking them right on back. Pretty funny. But uh, I think that's great. This is such a wonderful church. Such a sweet spirit here. And uh, I'm really excited to be able to just share a few words, hopefully, of encouragement today. I want to put a photo up on the screen for you. And uh, I want to draw your attention, not to the guy on the right or the left, but the guy in the middle who doesn't have any goggles on. And uh, his name is Eric Wyan Mayer. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And uh, he did something that I've dreamed of doing. I don't think I'm actually going to get to accomplish this in my lifetime, but it's a a dream of mine. And uh, Eric summited the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. In fact, he's sitting on the summit right there in that photo. And uh, that is not... A small thing to accomplish, Uh, over 200 people have died trying to climb Everest, and that's just since 1990, and you know recently, this past climbing season, uh, they had several fatalities, and uh, so it is an extremely dangerous, difficult thing to happen, uh, to make that summit. It's 29,028 feet, five and a half miles above sea level, it is the equivalent of taking 20 Empire State buildings and stacking them on top of each other, can you imagine? And so making that summit is a huge, huge deal. But what makes Eric stand out is not just the fact that he summited Everest, but Eric is completely blind. He's the first man ever to summit Everest in 2001 on May 25th, the first blind person to ever reach the summit of Everest. That's an incredible feat. It's incredible just to do it. It's incredible when you don't have sight. And uh, when he was interviewed, they asked him, Uh, Some thoughts about his climb and he said several things, but this is what stuck out to me when I read this interview It said that he depended on two things the most He said he depended on his climbing partners and he depended on his climbing ropes Two things that he depended on the most his climbing partners those that were on his team and he depended on those ropes Those ropes were his lifeline without that total and absolute dependence eric not only would probably not have reached the summit, but he probably would have died trying. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, this Wednesday, we celebrate Independence Day, when we gained our independence from England. You can rub that in your pastor's face. Maybe you already do. I don't know. But we're going to talk about today dependence, not independence, but we're going to talk about dependence. We uh, we depend on all sorts of things in life, don't we? We depend on our own personality or our talents or our strengths. We We say about certain things in life, I've got this and I can do this on my own. And in some settings, I think that's okay. But we depend on different things. We depend on maybe another person and being able to be dependable or depend on someone else is a good thing until it becomes unhealthy, where it's what codependence is the term that we use in pop psychology and. And it's where we just overly depend on someone else in kind of an unhealthy way. We depend on money and possessions, or we depend on institutions like government or education or business or even the church. So here's the big question today. Here's our big idea and big question for the day. And uh, this is the answer to this question, I think, is going to vary from one person to the next, but hopefully we kind of arrive at the same place at the conclusion of the day. Here's the question. Who or what do I depend on the most in life? Who or what do I depend on the most in life? And my family's life, for the last couple of months, we've been in a weird transition because uh, we are no longer at uh, the church that we were serving at and we're in this weird season of kind of finding out where we're going to be. And I'll tell you, after you've been at a church for 12 and a half years and then you step away from that, your dependence level is going to be on something. And we have found that it needs to be Definitely 100% on money. No, I'm just kidding. It needs to be on God. Follow me now because you might misquote me. Write this down. I think this is going to be on the screen. This might be a good quote for you to write down. If not, it makes me feel better if you write it down. Anyways, here's the deal. The depth of our dependence, I think, is seen in our pursuit. The depth of our dependence is seen in our pursuit. The way we pursue something, I think that shows how much we depend on it. I, I... I pursue my wife because I depend on her. So I chase her around the house at times. But that's none of your business. The way we pursue something shows how much we depend on it. Isn't it true that we pursue the things that we depend on? Isn't that true? We pursue the things that are important to us. And scripture is very clear, very loud. I don't think you can miss this when you get into God's word that we should and can depend on God. That he should have supremacy When we have the dependencies of life and what we depend on should be most on God. There's all these different phrases in scripture, things like trust in me that God says. He says, seek me. He says, come to me. He says, be restored to me. He says, "Uh, let me rescue you. There's different descriptors of our dependable God that we find in scripture. Like he's our helper, our deliverer, our comforter, our healer our provider and the list goes on and on any of you you just raise your hand you say yeah that's me I've had those times where I've had to have him to be my helper and my deliverer and my comforter is that you anybody in this room absolutely so he's our dependable God there's this idea in scripture especially as Jesus comes on the scene God and with skin on and he he begins to explain the kingdom of God and explain who God is there's this connectedness that Jesus explains to us that We're supposed to be connected to God. It's not supposed to be empty religion where we're a few steps separated from God. But we're supposed to be like close as we can be. One of those phrases that Jesus said is he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a powerful statement. That's Jesus Christ, who at the time, not many people were sure who this cat is. Like, is he really the Messiah? Or Is he crazy or is he a liar? Is he is he a con man? Who is he? And he says, I am the vine and you're the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. That storm that rolled through. When was that Friday night? Uh, Man, that was crazy. And uh, I don't know about you, but in our neighborhood, there were branches all over the place. Well, and I, I have had some in my yard and I. I threw them away. Well, here's the deal. Every one of those branches, eventually they're going to wither up and they're going to die. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, man, apart from me, you could do nothing of significance, nothing that has eternal value, nothing that really means anything. I'm the vine and 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 you're the branches. And so God's message to us is clear. He says, come closer, depend on me, come closer to me. I'm the vine, this connectedness here. You're the kids and I'm the father. And all these phrases that are there, so the question is why don 't we why don 't we stay closer to Jesus daily? why does it seem like, i don't i 'm just being real with you i don 't know for you, but in my life, sometimes I feel like ancient Israel where we just kind of vacillate back and forth we 're close to him for a while, and then we kind of back off and we go a couple of weeks without really having a, a serious, good intimate prayer time with him where we haven 't cracked open the bible we' got to blow off the dust off of our Bible and why is that why do we seem to kind of drift away and why do we seem to have to work so hard at coming close to god because i think things get in the way whether it's busyness or distractions or stress or laziness or emotional stuff that's the question who or what do we depend on today what do we depend on the most if god is so eager to have a close connected relationship with us then why do we struggle with this so let's hang out if you have your bibles and you want to pull them out that's cool the scriptures will be on the screen uh, behind me because there's no other screens in the room in fact just so you're clear I didn't want you looking around anywhere else they're, it, they're gonna be right there uh, we're gonna hang out in Luke chapter 18 we're gonna look at two parables and get two ideas one from each of these parables so Luke 18 and here's the first idea and these two parables they kind of spell out this dependence the who and the how so so let's look at the first idea is this uh, our take on God will determine our dependence level if you want to jot that down you can or write that on your neighbor's arm uh our take on god will de- determine our dependence level the way we view god will determine how much we depend on him and even deeper than that the way we think god views us will determine our dependence level on him isn't that true i mean if you if you uh had an important meeting to go to tomorrow morning at your office or your workplace and you had to be there on time but your car broke down and was in the shop And you wanted to look around this room and say, hey, who could pick me up and give me a ride to this very important meeting? And one of the people in this room comes running up to you and says, I'll give you a ride. But you know that that person is notoriously late everywhere they go. They're not punctual. I mean, late is like their spiritual gift. Some of you are looking around. Well, right, Joe. Yes, definitely. Uh, But you get what I'm saying? Like, you know, somebody like that. How if this meeting is so important, how likely are you to say, yes, I would like for you, in fact, to give me a ride? Probably not a whole lot because your take on that person is going to determine your dependence level on them to get you where you need to go on time. And I believe it's the same way. The way we view God, our perception of God, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge, what's really inside of us, how we are really convicted about who God is, that determines our take and our dependence level on him. If we think that Jesus is distant and doesn't have time for us, don't you think that that will affect our dependence level on him? If we think that Jesus is always mad at us and ready to crush us for every mistake we make, don't you think that that will determine how deep we go in our dependence on him? If we think that Jesus is just some nice religious figure with blonde hair and blue eyes and a sash and he rides around on a unicorn blessing everyone, like, if that's our impression of God, don't you think that that's going to determine the depth of our dependence level? I think it will. So let's hang out for just a few minutes in Luke 18, 1 through If you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, again, they're going to be on the screen. Jesus is telling parables here. These are stories to instruct. Jesus was so amazing at bringing to life the truth of God through story, through narrative. And he just painted these incredible pictures. And man, you got to capture this now because this is real life stuff. It's not like he made up some mythical, you know, kind of a thing. And and he's talking about like the kraken coming out, you know, and, and some kind of, you know, battle of the beasts See, just real life stuff he says this here's what it says one day jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up so so that's the purpose that's the whole reason of this particular parable always pray never give up depend on god never give up he says this this is the parable there was a, a judge in a certain city he said who neither feared god nor cared about people a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying give me justice in this dispute with my enemy." The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, Self, I don't fear God, and I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. Anybody know somebody like that? Who is like nagging is their greatest spiritual gift. Anyone. Don't look at the person next to you if you're married to them. But I'm just saying, like, do you know somebody like that? I mean, this woman was persistent, man. She was going after it until she got what she thought she needed to get and what she deserved. He goes on, he says, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Jesus told parables, and (laughs) parables are not every word that Jesus said. Every syllable that he spoke was on purpose. He didn't say something and go, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. Wow, you know, maybe I shouldn't have stopped that storm. Maybe I should have said, please. For No, everything that Jesus said. He said on purpose. And I love how he paints this picture of this story. I mean, what an incredible way of setting up who this judge is like and what he's like and how he handles his life and his business. Now check this out. Then the Lord said, and he explains this parable. He said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. So we can learn some lessons from the widow for sure. But Jesus said, particularly pay more attention to the judge. He said, even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Isn't that powerful? He said, when, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Snap. He's like, if he had a handheld mic, he'd be like, boom. And just stare at him. How how much more? Listen, Jesus is like, here's why I'm telling you this story. Always pray. Never give up. You can depend on me. You can depend on God. And the widow is important in this story. She's not to be disregarded. She was a, a, a widow. She was in distress. She had a legitimate, unjust situation. It's interesting. Jesus could have chose any character that he wanted to choose to be the protagonist, the kind of the hero in this story. But he didn't choose a man, he chose a woman, and ladies, you need to be like, fish pump, represent, because in that culture in his day, women were were lower class. Insert joke here. No, I'm not. He, he was she was lower. Good, awesome. You guys are giggling. She was lower class. I mean women were not were not regarded. And especially as a widow, she didn't have a man to take up her cause. A lot of parallels there. Because ultimately in life, man, when it comes to especially big, huge, eternal things, there's no one to take up my cause. There's no one who can excuse my sin except for Jesus. There's no one who can give me access to the Father except for Jesus. And so she is a helpless... It is like a gnat going up against a lion. This unjust judge had all the power. He had all the authority. And Jesus made this incredible not comparison between god and the judge but a contrast he's like here's the difference man you got to check this out it's not a it's not a comparison parable it's a contrasting one and he's he's like look god is not this grumpy god sitting up in heaven like when you finally get your prayer right and you use all of the pontificating words that i don't even know what pontificating means i just think it sounds impressive when i say it it sounds like Anyway, so when you use these, once you finally get your prayer right, then God will answer you. Once you finally live a perfect life, a sinless life for a certain amount of days, then God will hear from heaven on his big throne. He didn't say that. His widow didn't have it all right. She, didn't, she wasn't perfect. That's not the point. This is a contrast to say, listen, God is not like that. So that's why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said to them, what? Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Rest. I'll give you rest. He didn't say, get yourselves together now, put on all of your best religiosity and come to me when you've got it together, and then I'll give you something, something. He said, man, if you're worn out, you're tired and you're discouraged, and you're ticked off, and you've been wronged, and you have some unjustice things going on in your life, you come to me. That's what the contrast is. Most people, man, we don't like to be nagged. We don't want to be pestered. We don't want to be bothered. Isn't that true? Let's just be honest. We push the problem people to the margin. We push them to the side. Let's be honest. That crazy uncle in your family dribbles on himself, talks to himself. We push him to the side. That girl in your office that always has a problem when you say, how you doing? You just want a simple good. But she's like, well, and she just talks about her boyfriend dumped her and her family, this and her cat, you know, the fact that she has a cat, whatever. I mean, all these problems. And we just want to push those people to the side. The contrast between this unjust judge and God is that he's like, listen, there's this uncommon invitation that Jesus is painting here to say, come to me, bother me. Pester me, nag me, come closer to me. Don't you hang out there with your problems and think you've got to get cleaned up in some kind of spiritual shower before you come close. You come close dirty. Look at who Jesus hung out with. He hung out with the drunk who was dropping the F-bomb at the bar. He's hanging out with the prostitutes and the pimps and the CEO whose boat looks a whole lot better than his marriage. I mean, this is who Jesus is hanging out with. And he says, come closer, get in here. It's this uncommon invitation from a God who delights in us. Oh, yes, I know that Jesus loves me. But does he like you? Can you stretch your imagination and your heart enough to say, yeah, you know what? God likes me. Yeah, there's a dark side to every person. It's called our sin nature. And, man, it's got to be put off. And we got to work to let that die and to become more like Christ. Of course. But that's the beauty of it is we don't do it alone. He, He grabs us right where we are. And he loves us enough not to leave us that way. And he delights in us, not because our performance in life is good, not because we have it all together and we're good enough. He simply loves us and likes us and delights in us. Is anybody with me? Zechariah chapter two says we're the apple of God's eye. We're his delight. We're his masterpiece. You know what scripture says about you? Scripture says that you are a super duper hooper in cow. Wow, you guys are quiet. Hooper in the cow is the Greek word for conqueror. Everybody go, oh, he knows Greek. Yeah, I know a little Greek. He cooks my pizza. Hooper to Cow is the Greek word for conqueror, and Scripture says that you, everybody say me, you are more than a conqueror. So you are a super duper Hooper and a Cow. You are greater than a conqueror. That's what Scripture says about you, that's God's idea of you. Through him, as your dependence is closer on him and and ultimately 100% on him, you are more than a conqueror through Christ. That's what scripture says. He was willing to fight for your heart all the way to the cross. Come on. How much more evidence do we need that God is worthy and God is able to allow us and to have us to be dependent on him than the work that he did on the cross? That should make you smile. That you are worth that much infinitely more than anything else what if eric weyenmayer the 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 blind man who summited mount everest what if he had a negative opinion of his climbing partners what if he said i, I don't really need these guys i can do it on my own what if he said they, they don't you know i'm suspicious of them i don't think they really care about me i don't i think that uh, given the chance they'll leave me for dead on that mountain what if he had the wrong perception of his climbing partners, would that not affect his dependence level on them? But that wasn't the case. He had full trust in those guys and he depended on them and it got him to the peak of the world's tallest mountain. So we need to remind ourselves and immerse ourselves in all that Scripture has to say about how God feels about us. Because listen, our take on God will determine our dependence level. Is anybody with me today? Our second parable and the second idea from Luke 18 is this, real, real simple thought, excuse me, it's coffee. It's this, the way we depend on God will determine everything else. So our take on God, our view on God will determine our dependence level, but even the way we depend on God really will determine everything else. It's gonna determine so, so much else. Have you ever noticed that there's different ways that we depend on things, or somebody that you know, there's different ways that they depend on different things? I wrote some of this down because I think we can categorize dependency into different categories that might help us today. One is an addictive dependence. I mean, some of you uh, know someone or maybe you yourself have some sort of addiction in your life and, um, and you know firsthand it is no fun. Because addiction, ad- an addiction dependence is, is, uh, is compulsive there's no act of the will it, it is it is something that you've gone beyond saying yeah i want to do that to to being something that you can't control you're being completely bound up and, and and dependent on something that that you just don't want to do and that can happen with obviously with chemicals and and you know sexual things or whatever but i believe it can also even be in the area of religion that we can have this addicted dependence on god where it's not really Something that we do with our heart—it's just something we go through the motions in our head, and we just kind of step through the motions and go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, or or we we go through the motions, or maybe we were brought up in a certain a certain faith uh, way, and and it created this thing in us that it's just this this automated response, but it's not really from the heart it's not a great way to be dependent another dependence that i see in life and i've been guilty of this is a casual dependence it's kind of take it or leave it it's like yeah i mean god is good i believe in god and he's there and yeah, i pray over my dinner i talk to the man upstairs and and so there's this casual dependence can you imagine if eric Weinmeyer had a casual dependence on his climbing ropes you know what i'm saying There's one part of the climb when you're summiting Everest that if you misstep, you drop over 1,000 feet into Tibet. So some little Tibetan kid is like walking by, you know, picking berries because that's what they do in Tibet, apparently. And he like sees you there and sees you over there and over there. And he's like, look, mommy, a hand, you know. Because, again, they have an English accent. It's the best I got. And those of you that this is your church home, you should be able to judge that well. Take it or leave it a casual dependence. He didn't have a casual dependence when he clipped in onto his lifeline, onto these ropes. He was totally dependent on them because if he misstepped, they would save his life. You can't have this casual dependence on God. And then there's another kind of dependence, this demanding dependence. This demanding dependence says, I have a right. It is this kind of mentality that says, it is mine by Right. He says, I get this and I want this and I want it now. And if God doesn't behave the way I think he should behave, then man, I'm just going to kind of write him off because uh, we're demanding. But Jesus, in in the next parable that he tells in Luke 18, 9 through 13, he introduces this new way of dependence that I, I kind of phrase broken dependence. There's a new kind of this. Jesus, it, he introduces this new way of depending on God and it is this Dependence that is comes from a place of being broken. And it's almost like it's it's counter to one another, it seems like. But it's not. It actually works together really beautifully. So check this out, Luke 18, 9 through 13. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Again, you got to Stretch your imagination and imagine the scene. Jesus is telling this story. And, and scripture says, Luke writes down that this is why he told the story. And this was who was there. He gives us a clue. People who had great confidence in their own righteousness. Like they're like, I'm good enough. I'm awesome enough. And God is impressed with me. Those kind of people. And who scorned everyone else. They're like, I'm holy and you're not. That's the kind of people that he was talking about in, in talking to. Check this out. He says, two men went into a bar. No, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. And the other was a despised tax collector. Okay, we're in public. It would be like standing on the floor of Congress and telling a story and saying a congressman and a pimp go into a bar together. And you're about to indict the congressman. You're about to just slam them for all of the stuff that congressmen do that is negative. Jesus is standing around, and some of the people in the room are some of the most powerful religious figures in that area. I mean, they have incredible authority and influence. These are people who have incredible reputations, and he is about to throw them under the bus. So he says one was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. Tax collectors, if they are, especially if they were Jewish, they were complete traitors to their people. There's a barrel, and then there's the scum at the bottom of the barrel, and tax collectors were like under that, man. This is who these guys were. And Jesus paints this picture. He says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, and he prayed it out loud. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. Wow. Comparisonitis will kill you. I thank you that I'm not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, right, And I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Wow. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Again, Jesus says everything on purpose. Now, whether or not any Pharisee or religious leader of the day actually said those words, I will guarantee you they were thoughts in their heart because Jesus just drew them out. He said, I know you guys. This is what you think. This is what's in your heart. that You compare yourself with everyone else and put yourself on this lofty place and everyone else is beneath you. And then look at what Jesus says. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I'm a sinner. What an incredible contrast between the two. You could say that both had a dependence on God, couldn't you? The Pharisee prayed, so that shows dependence. The the Pharisee said that he gave a tenth of his income. He tithed, he gave in offerings. That shows a dependence. He says that he followed the commandments. He didn't sin, he didn't commit adultery, he didn't do all these bad things. That shows a bit of of, uh, dependence, doesn't it? But look at the difference between this demanding, maybe even casual, maybe even addictive dependence... And this tax collector who had this broken dependence, what a different attitude, what a different heart. And look at the outcome. This is what Jesus said. This is the lesson. This brings it home. And this was another mic drop for Jesus. He says, I tell you this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, were termed home justified or made right before God. And here's why. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Snap. So there's a way that we can be dependent on God. It's not just that, yeah, I depend on God. But there is this broken dependence that can be ours, and it's truly a beautiful thing. God responds to a broken, humble heart, not a demanding performance. We have to avoid listing all of our goodness before God because He's simply not impressed. Oh, God, I thank you that I am not a sinner like all of these, as if God is going to go, well, you're not. You're right. I can see you there. Look at you. All polished. Memorizing scripture and going to generation church. Look at you. Got it all together. Come on up here and be my friend. Sit with me on my throne. God's just not impressed. I mean, when you create the universe, (laughs) I don't know that anything else really impresses you. But what does capture God's attention What captures his heart is when we are honest and broken and we say, you know what? Excuse the language, but I suck. (laughs) And God, I need you. I need you. I mess up, I fall flat on my face, God, and I'm sorry. And I've blown it time and time again and I know full well that I am not perfect, but I just want to be more like you. Will you help me? Prayers like that, when they really come from an authentic heart, man, I believe that it, uh, it turns the universe in a little bit different way. God is saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Isn't that beautiful? So worship team comes back to the to the area up here. I want to encourage you on a couple of more thoughts on brokenness and and uh, broken dependence, because I I just be honest with you, man, the last couple of months, this has been renewed in in my family uh, more than maybe more than ever. There is this beauty that comes with being brokenly uh, dependent on God. There's this incredible thing that happens when you say, you know what, I can chase after a lot of things in life. And I can go after this and this, and, and I can worry about this and this, and don't get me wrong, I certainly have. But there's a freedom that comes when you finally let go and say, okay, when it's all said and done, I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. When it's all said and done at the end of the day, it is not the accolades of people. It's not the pats on the back. It's not the dollar figures. It's not what I've got in my, renti- in my retirement. It, it, it is not the home that I live in. It's not the car that I drive. It's not, you know, the, the status that I have socially. At the end of the day, it is my relationship with the creator of the universe, my savior, my lord, my master. That's what counts. And I want to stay in that place. And part of staying in that place, I believe, involves this funky word, this Christian word called repenting. Man, it sounds so religious, doesn't it? Repent. It's like this sandwich board guy on the street, and he's like, repent for the end is near. And it seems so old-fashioned and so out of date, but man, nothing could be more beautiful and amazing than when we get before God and say, I'm sorry. And repenting isn't just saying, I'm sorry, it's saying, man, I want to change. God, give me the strength and help me to depend on you in a broken way so that I can turn 180 away from this sin, away from this lifestyle. And God is patient and he loves us. And so it's this beautiful approach, this balance of this faithful dependence and this humble approach and we repent and say, God, have mercy on me like that tax collector. And it's faithfully depending on God as our father to say, Daddy, I need you. And here's the result, man. You move closer to Jesus through a broken dependence. So this morning, just two real simple questions. Maybe you want to jot these down or just think about them this week. But we go back to the original big idea question is this. Who are you dependent on? What do you depend on the most in life? Is it your spouse? Is it your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Is it your intelligence, your creativity, your personality, your looks? Is it your education or your goals in life or your job? Is it your future? Is it your parents? Is it your kids? What do you depend on the most? And I think the next question is, what is your take on God? Because that's going to determine the level of your dependence on him. Who is God to you? Who is he? And if you're not sure it's foggy, can I encourage you with everything that's in me to get into God's word and the scripture and find out how he feels about you? Start with the words of Jesus and and understand that Jesus is, again, not some distant, only a little bit man, but mostly God. No, he was fully man and fully God. And, and he was here with us and, and still is, by the way, fully man, fully God now. And what he said 2,000 years ago, he still says today. His words are eternal. So what does he think about you? And what's one area of your life that you could become more dependent on God. Maybe there's some areas that you really are dependent on him, but there's some areas that you say, I got this, God. I, I got this. You've got things to do. I got this one. Maybe there's an area that you need to surrender over to him. Can we pray together this morning? Will you close your eyes and, and bow your heads? and Just in this moment... No one looking around just out of courtesy and respect for each other and so that you can really hear from the Lord. Answer some of those questions. Ask the Lord, Lord, what's up, man? What what do I really depend on? Him?